0: From Liguori Publications, this is a Redemptorist Pastoral Communications audio book. Philip St. Romain is the author of many Ligori bestsellers. He recently gave a seminar on spirituality in which he discussed the false self we are conditioned to develop and how we can overcome it with inner work. Here is Philip St. Romain. All right, I want to get us going with a couple of stories here. It's from a book by... Father Anthony DeMello called Taking Flight. They're really good little stories have a lot to say about spirituality. The first one has to do with this whole issue of the true self and the false self. A woman in a coma was dying. She suddenly had a feeling that she was taken up to heaven and stood before the judgment seat. "'Who are you?' a voice said to her. "'I'm the wife of the mayor.' She replied, I did not ask whose wife you are, but who you are. I'm the mother of four children. I did not ask whose mother you are, but who you are. I'm a school teacher. I did not ask what your profession is, but who you are. And so it went. No matter what she replied, she did not seem to give a satisfactory answer to the question, Who are you? I'm a Christian. I did not ask what your religion is, but who you are. I'm the one who went to church every day and always helped the poor and needy. I did not ask you what you did, but who you are." She evidently failed the examination, for she was sent back to earth. When she recovered from her illness, she was determined to find out who she was, and that made all the difference little reflection that Father Demel puts is, Your duty is to be, not to be somebody, not to be nobody, for therein lies greed and ambition, not to be this or that, and thus become conditioned, but just to be. Okay, that's kind of the tone of the way I'm going to get at this topic. Here's another one. The student walked up to the clerk at the language laboratory and said, may I have a blank tape, please? What language are you studying? Asked the clerk. French, said the student. Sorry, we don't have any blank tapes in French. (laughs) Well, do you have any blank tapes in English? Yes, we do. Good, I'll take one of those. Okay. It makes as much sense to speak of a blank tape being French or English as it does to speak of a person being French or English. French or English is your conditioning, not you. I Already see where some of this is going, but if there's any doubt, let's get really clear. A car accident occurred in a small town. A crowd surrounded the victim so that a newspaper reporter couldn't manage to get close enough to see him. He hit upon an idea. I'm the father of the victim. I'm the father of a victim, he cried. Please let me through. The crowd let him pass so he was able to get right up to the scene of the accident and discover, to his embarrassment, that the victim was a donkey. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so now we know what we're talking about, right? (laughs) Donkeys and and people. Maybe a good way to get into the topic a little more is uh, by making some distinctions. These are the distinctions that at least I make. Uh, You'll find some differences of opinion in the field of spiritual direction and pastoral counseling about religion, morality, spirituality, and so forth. But I'm going to put up here what what I mean when I use those words. Okay? The first one is religion. The second one we're going to look at is spirituality. Third one is morality. And a fourth one we'll call inner work. Four different words that sometimes people use interchangeably. They use them to mean the same thing. Sometimes they use religion to describe all of these things. Sometimes they use inner work to describe all of these things. But I don't think they all really mean the same thing. So this is, in order to get us going, the distinctions that I would like to make. First, religion, I'd like to speak of as traditions of wisdom and worship, okay? You can say living traditions of wisdom and worship. The tradition is something that is handed down. So you can s- speak of Christianity as a whole tradition of wisdom and with a variety of kinds of worship forms. You can speak of Catholic Christianity as one particular current that goes all the way back in the Christian stream of wisdom, how we understand God, how we understand human nature, how we understand the world, and worship, how we express that understanding in praise and in the Catholic Church in a sacramental context. So we got that one, religion. Traditions of wisdom and worship. And of course the concern of religion here, traditions of wisdom would include the doctrine that it has, the rituals that it provides for us to enter into this tradition in an intellectual way and liturgically to enter into it as a community. Spirituality is is concerned with something very related but kind of unique. It's concerned with what is one's center. Uh, It's also concerned with attention and those are the two primary areas. So you, you, you might say that, that spirituality is concerned with the motive of attention. I would be concerned with the whole area of the will. What do we place as important? So obviously there's a relationship most of the time between religion and spirituality where religion is telling us what is important and spirituality is entering into a rather personal engagement with that tradition. Morality is concerned with uh, values that tell us what is good, what is bad. It's concerned with the whole area of conscience formation. So again, there's an obvious relationship between these, but it's not quite the same. Inner work is concerned with my, uh, ultimately it's concerned with self-knowledge but not a superficial self-knowledge. A self-knowledge that is attuned, not just to my labels and my roles, but my, my deeper feelings and energies, um, the life of the unconscious, you might say, um, creative kind of work would belong to inner work. So that's four words, four kinds of experiences up there and there's an obvious relationship between them, but let's look at what some of the possibilities are, okay? See how they're different. Can one be involved in inner work without being involved in, let's say, spirituality and religion? What do you think? Well, of course, yes. I think they can. I think people can be about discovering what their inner life is without any particular reference to God or centering their life in God and without any particular concern for a religious tradition. Uh, like if you do the exercises in the first half of my book, Lessons in Loving, and, and you don't do it with any consideration of Catholicism, you only do those exercises but with, and you leave off any, anything that relates to a religious expression of it. That's inner work. That's what that is it's not necessarily spirituality then. You might get a lot of self-knowledge, but then uh, where does that go, okay? Can a person be moral without being especially religious or spiritual? Sure. You think of people who are humanists, humanitarians, but they don't belong to any particular church, you might not even believe in God. But it makes sense to them to, let's say, uh, help people who are in need. Uh, To work for social justice makes sense to them. They can see a value in that. That helps everyone. It makes sense to them to work for healing the environment. Um, It's bad for everyone if the environment is polluted. And you don't need to be a particularly religious person to realize that might even go so far to say that Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on good human values see how that one sits that there there is such a thing as human values that we're capable of grasping and because it just makes sense common sense would be one way we would understand that so Can you be a moral person without being very involved in inner work? Yeah, sure. We all know people like that. Can you be a spiritual person without being a religious person? When do you think? Yes. Okay. And and of course, again, we, we may know some people who are like that. They have a belief in God, maybe a love of God. But it, it isn't really being informed by any particular religious tradition. And they don't feel any kind of uh, oh, inclination to worship with a community. Now, there's of course usually a, a natural tie-in between spirituality and religion. As soon as I become interested in finding my true center, discovering my true self, uh, paying attention to my motive, you know, and what I'm really about, as I do what I do, uh, I begin to wonder about the God that I'm trying to follow, uh, be at one with. I begin to wonder about my own nature. Who am I really? I mean, I can discover some things from my inner work, but is that my only resource? for learning about who I am. So it's it's very natural that people would look to religion to help them to live the spiritual life. And it's also very natural that religion would be the means by which people would be invited to live the spiritual life. That through this living tradition, we are invited onto what we would call the spiritual journey. And spiritual journey is begins when we begin we when we make our own decision to say yes from here on i want to live to be this kind of this person who will live a spiritual life all right so there we have these four uh, kinds of experience and uh, maybe we can move into the next step which is to say a little bit about christian spirituality in particular because i'm not here today to just talk about human spirituality, which we could do, but uh, certainly for myself, I I don't know much about a human spirituality apart from a Christian spirituality. That's been my primary concern. I've read books about human spirituality and Eastern spirituality, and um, I think there's certainly a testament there to the human spirit and spirituality in general, but Christian spirituality is a spirituality that is very much informed by a religious tradition, a tradition that tells us something about God, a tradition that has received a revealed truth, a revealed truth that colors the way we undertake our spiritual journey. And the revealed truth that we receive from our tradition tells us that uh, we belong to God, that we belong to a loving God. And today's readings make it even stronger, the Feast of the Sacred Heart, that we belong to a loving God who is searching for us, who is pursuing us. He's not a God who's just kind of there saying, find me, here I am, start looking. But in all of those readings we had today about shepherds looking for sheep, God wanting to be the shepherd is to say i'm looking for you, and if you find me it's because I found you first and so we we begin uh, considering Christian spirituality with this understanding of a God who has loved us first, a God who is calling us to be in a relationship and so maybe we're going to find something in a Christian spiritual journey that won't necessarily be found, at least are experienced in the same way in another kind of spiritual journey. Although I think that's one of the most interesting ecumenical questions uh, that we could explore is not what your dogma says versus what my dogma says, but what kind of experience does your tradition bring you to and how is that similar or different from the experience my tradition leads us to? There's not a lot about that out there. We belong to God, and this is a personal God who calls us and leaves us free to say yes or no, but who nonetheless keeps pursuing us and cuts off almost every path of retreat by inviting us again and again and again in some way, through a person, through a book, through a song, through a memory, through a bird singing, uh, through our children, some kind of way. Our tradition tells us that we belong to each other. And so when we get involved in spirituality, that's certainly one of the issues we have to deal with. Certainly colors also are ethical or moral understanding. If, in truth, we really belong to each other, then a primary ethical value is do we act as though this is true. Do we live as though we belong to each other? Our tradition tells us we belong to the universe. We're connected to it physically. We eat food. Okay, that's one big connection. We breathe air. The atoms and molecules in our bodies come from a star that exploded at one time. With stardust. And you like that one? I've always liked that one. We're connected to the physical universe. We're connected to the psychological universe. We're connected with each other. And yet at the same time, we're individual and distinct. So this informs our spirituality. This informs our morality. This all informs the kind of inner work we do. Do we act as though we belong to the universe? Do we act as though we belong to each other in community? And the key to this is do we act as though we all belong to the same God who created us all and who loves us? <clears throat> okay. You might say the primary goal of Christian spirituality in its being informed by a religious tradition is to discover a centeredness in God that brings the awareness of a union that we have with God. So God is loving us, inviting us to relationship. And spirituality raises the issue to us of what are we doing with our life? What are we about? What is our center? The ultimate truth is that God is loving us, inviting us to be in union with God. And so the first question that comes for us is uh, Well, then, okay, do we know that? Is that our experience? And if not, why? Those are the kinds of questions that spirituality addresses us with. That's all uh, a perspective on this, uh, a rather intellectual and maybe philosophical perspective. that shows what Christian spirituality is about. and So what I'd like to do now is to zero in on those last kinds of questions I asked. Do we know who we are, really? Do we know what we're about? And if we don't, why not? That's where I'd like to spend the rest of our time. Are there any questions about what I've talked about so far, though, before I move on, about these four kinds of experiences. Religion, spirituality, morality, inner work, okay? So sometimes you'll see a book advertise the inner journey. And uh, you have to ask, is that about spirituality or is that about self-discovery? Uh, depends, you know, they could be using the word in a different way than I'm using it here. No questions? Ready to go? Okay. I put down a couple of words here for spirituality, centeredness and attention. Let's first talk about attention. Does anybody here know what attention is? Or where it comes from? I think it's such a mysterious thing, don't you? I mean when when I read over the the traditional Catholic literature on the mystical life and they talk about the human soul, they always talk about the soul as endowed with memory, understanding, will, okay? And and they talk about the soul as that which gives us a particular kind of human life. Because we are human souls, we are human beings. They talk about it being spiritual, opening toward God in one end. They talk about it being embodied or, or physically expressed. But I've never found anything on attention certainly attention is not the same thing as memory it's not the same thing as understanding it's not the same thing as 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 will it's not separate from those things it's like attention is a kind of a light in us isn't it it's it's a light that we we take for granted we don't it, it's the light by means of which we see everything attention anyone in, everyone in here knows what i'm talking about when i talk about attention right so i'm talking about your ability to listen to what I'm saying or to just shut me off completely and, and go into your own world. And I say, pay attention. What do you do? We, we, we never have asked much about that. We know what it means, right? It means look at him, listen to him, consider what he's saying, pay attention. Has anybody ever seen a book on attention or read much on attention? It's incredible, isn't it? It's such an obvious reality. Maybe one of the most unique human experiences is the ability to pay attention, and uh, we don't even know what it is. Of course, we don't know what anything is. You know, that's, that's true too. Does anybody know what a thought is? Does anybody in here have thoughts? All day long, right? But what is a thought? I mean, nobody really knows what that is either, right? Or a feeling. We don't know what that is. So attention is another one of those things that we know what it is, but we don't really know what it is. We, we have it all the time. We experience it all the time. When we try to define it, it just evaporates. It turns into nothing. Well, attention is, is, in spirituality, certainly I would say the most important thing to start uh, dealing with is the issue of attention. Because if I were to put a hierarchy of human experiences, our ability to experience with the senses, our ability to think, our ability to choose, and so forth, attention would be the highest of all. It is, there there is no higher uh, human potential than the, the ability to see what we're doing. Even to make a choice presupposes that we are seeing what our options are. Even to understand something assumes that there is a seer a seeing that recognizes this that and the other and decides on which way the truth compels us to follow How about we talk about attention as seeing not just with the eyes right seeing is that a good way to talk about attention seeing How does that sound Attention is a seeing, but it's a whole soul seeing. And we might be seeing through our senses at one time, and we might be seeing through our intellect at another time. We might be grasping something through the intellect, but that's a kind of seeing. We might be seeing with our feelings. We might be seeing uh, in in a way that uh, maybe doesn't seem to have too much to do with any of those. A pure kind of seeing. So here's a few qualities of attention. The first one we said is centeredness. Attention seems to be related to a kind of a center. Well, it's there already. I wrote it up there, centeredness. What I see very much depends on what my center is. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When I'm hungry and I'm driving on the road, I'm much more likely to see the signs that advertise food than I am to see the signs that advertise gasoline. Now, why is that? The the, the other signs are there, but I see the signs that resonate with my center, which when I'm hungry, very much has to do with food. So what I see and how I see it is very much related to my center, right? When I'm depressed, do I see the world a different way than when I'm happy? When I'm depressed, I might look at you all and say, oh, how awful to be in a room full of depressed people. (laughs) I see you through those glasses. My attention, the light that is shining through me is colored by that. When I'm happy, well, I'm more likely to see a different picture, right? Okay, that's what I mean by one quality of attention is centeredness. And centeredness very much affects how we pay attention what we pay attention to. What about when I'm afraid? Does that affect the way I pay attention? What about when I don't really like myself and I think I'm ugly and stupid? Does that affect the way I pay attention to other people? It certainly does. So attention is always there as the light by means of which we see. However, our experience of attention is very much affected by the center. You might think of the center as uh, a lens of sorts through which attention shines. And the lens can be very small, or it can be open, it can be colored, or it can be clear. How does that image, okay? It's a lens. It, It can also turn, it can look this way or that way. So the seeing that I do as a spiritual person, is a seeing that is colored by my center. We can speak of attention as having uh, quantity and intensity, as well as the quality that is given to it. The quality of attention is given to it by its center. The quantity of attention is given to attention by the strength of the center. When I'm very, very hungry, I am paying a lot of attention to possibilities for food. So attention can be a light that shines brightly or it can be barely flickering. So there can be a quantity and intensity of attention. Sometimes attention can be seemed to be really intensely focused on one thing. Those of you who edit the manuscript, better not be thinking of too many other things while you do that, right? It won't be good editing. You have to become involved in this manuscript. And sometimes attention can seem to be very open, like not really focused on anything, just generally attuned to almost everything. Just you're there. Okay? So there are some qualities about attention. Now, what does this all have to do with God? Well, remember, our center very much determines how we experience attention. And that's where the whole question of God comes in. What difference does it make if my center has something to do with God or if it doesn't have something to do with God? Does that affect my attention? Think about that for yourself. When you are centered in God, in in even a kind of an experience of God, at least a, a faith experience, does that affect the kind of attention you bring? When you are centered in love, does that affect your attention? And does your attention in turn help you to find your way to love? So here's some things that the religion part tells us about God that has tremendous implications on attention. I'm going to ask you some catechism questions. First one, where is God? Anybody know? Where is God? Nobody knows? Okay, God is everywhere. That's good. That's good. God is everywhere. In in every place that exists, God must be there because it wouldn't exist without God, right? That's very basic. Catholic metaphysics. What is God doing where God is? The next question. God is everywhere, but what is God doing everywhere? He's loving. What else? Okay, God's loving. We know that answer. He's creating, renewing, nurturing. God's doing all those things. Wherever God is, God is not uh, sleeping, okay, or um, wasting time. Or God is, wherever God is, God is loving, creating, nurturing, renewing. Here's, here's another question you, maybe you've never asked yourself. When is God doing that? Did you ever ask that? That's a weird question, isn't it? When does God do these things? When? All the time, Okay. Alright? So God is everywhere, all the time, only loving, creating, renewing, nurturing. And, and the renewing and nurturing might mean tearing down before the creating starts again. We know that from our prophets, right? Alright, so that's where God is, alright? Can anyone over here in, in this room do that? Be everywhere, all the time, loving, nurturing, okay? No, we can't do that. That's part of the, what? You. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you said that so you could hear, right? <laughs> okay, no we can't, we're finite created beings, and uh, so we, we know we can't be everywhere, we can, but where can we be? Where are we? That's another unusual question that most people never ask themselves. Where am I? Does anybody know the answer to that? You're, you're here. That's right. And, and when are you? You're now. And uh, okay. So those are good questions. When am I going to experience God then? Because God is everywhere all the time but I can only be here now. I can't be here all the time but I can be here now. Here now that's where it's at with spirituality. That's where we have to come to because that is the moment. It's not even a moment, it's, the, it's a kind of a time experience. The, the present is the, is the time of the experience of God. Now is the place of the experience of God. This is not to say that God is not the God of history in the past, or that God is the God of the future, but it's to say that we're not the God of the past and the God of the future. We're the creature of the here now, and this is where God is to be found, in this here now. So that's the first question that spirituality asks us, is where are we? Now is it possible for people to not be here now? Actually it's not, not, not in reality. It's possible for our attention to not be here now. But even when we're caught up in the past, let's say, thinking over a, an old hurt and we're just really stuck there, our attention is stuck in the past, okay? Really, we're stuck in the past and the now. Anything like that, huh? You're in the right place, you just don't know it. That's really what I'm saying, okay? You follow that? That even, even when we're having, let's say, feelings of remorse and shame uh, we're having them in the now, but we don't experience ourselves as in the now. We experience ourselves in the past. Now, that's usually what the mystics are talking about when they say uh, we need to be dead to the past. It means we need to be dead to the past means we have to be free from the past so that our attention is not stuck in our past experiences. Really, where our attention is stuck is in our own memory. Because Our memory is what's attuned to the, the past even when we're concerned about the future and usually our concern about the future is anxiety that we're projecting i'm not doing so well now and i wasn't doing so well yesterday guess what kind of future i can expect (laughs) i start thinking about that one that's where it's going and so i'm really in the now but attentionally i'm not and i say i'm really in the now what do i mean i mean well where is your body? Okay? Do you ever think about that where your body is? You know, your body's always in the right place. <laughs> it's always in the right time, too, isn't it? Our body can only be here now. It's never been anywhere else. It doesn't know how to do that. But there's a part of us that that and again, on the level of attention, can dissociate from the body. Lose touch with the body. Maybe you've had some days like that. I've had whole months like that in the past (laughs) where I was not at all in touch with the body. The body existed to carry the ego around. And, uh, you know, I I missed the now all day long. And that's a great spiritual tragedy because when you miss it, it's gone. You can't get it back. There is such a thing as a time that moves from the past to the future. We're in that kind of time too, a linear time, experience of time we call chronos. There's the other experience of time, the here-now. And if we're not experiencing it, it's because our attention is stuck in the past or projecting into the future. So you might imagine, let's say, a person who's stuck in the past looking to the left like this. The now is in the front, right? Okay. But they're stuck in the past. They're going over things that happened, still going over them again and again and again. And then when they think about the future, they project that this way it goes. And they're walking around all day doing this. <laughs> and there now is a little blur that they see from time to time between shooting back and forth. You think any people are like that? You don't think people have that experience of going back and forth like that? Yes. And relative to spirituality, what we're saying here is that when we live like that, when our attention is doing that, we miss God too. Although God is here, Now, always. And that's where we find God. We can miss that. We cannot know it. We cannot experience it. And to not know that and to not experience that means to experience ourselves as separated from God. To feel that God is out there somewhere else, very disinterested, very distant. Another way to look at it, okay. Let's say... uh, Oh, who's the guy everybody likes now? Garth Brooks, yeah. He's the guy that, a lot of people like Garth Brooks. Let's say you're really a Garth Brooks fan and you want to hear Garth Brooks. And you find out he's coming to St. Louis and he's accepting visitors at Bush Stadium. There's a little office, you can go meet him there. You can spend 10 minutes with him uh, next Saturday at 2.15. And you you call and you make your appointment and you're one of the first to call, so you're in. And you'll have some time with him. Where do you think you'll be next Saturday at 2.15? If you're really a Garth Brooks fan and you have that appointment. You know where you'll be. You'll be there, right? If you want to be in the presence of Garth Brooks, you have to be in the right place at the right time or you'll miss him, right? What if we want to be in the presence of God? Where would we have to go? What's the answer? To a retreat center? (laughs) To Medjugorje? Where do you have to go to be in the presence of God? Nowhere. Anywhere will do, right? And that's what our tradition tells us, and our mystics say that's correct. The tradition says it on the basis of revealed truth and experience. And the mystic says, absolutely, that is correct. I confirm that doctrine. God is everywhere. I cannot go anywhere and not find God. It's easier to find him in some places. But if you can find him in the ugly side of life, you'll find him everywhere. Okay? So think about old Garth Brooks. If you want to meet him, you've got to go to where he is and be where he is when he's there. And we do that and we bring our attention too. We remember everything he said, how he looked at us, what we told him, and so forth. It's a very powerful experience to be in the now doing something. And so with God, where would we have to go? Nowhere. When would we have to get there? Anytime. Right? So there's the invitation. I'm always here now, loving. Do you know that? Okay, that's the question spirituality asks us. God is here now, loving. Where are we? And what are we doing? You see how this works? You see how this goes, spirituality? Now, there are a lot of ways that spirituality would go on to deal with this. Okay, Uh, how do I come into this presence? How do I get to be here now? Um, and we'll deal with those questions as we go along. But uh, uh, another preliminary interesting question to me at least is if I'm not here now loving where am I and what am I doing? Okay. And, and we've already reflected on the answer if we're not here now where are we? attentionally again at one level we're always here now we can't not be here now but if I'm not here now at the level of attention where am I It's obvious so let's hear the answer I'm in the past okay or in the future I'm in the past and in the future uh, attentionally I'm living there in other words my attention is there and if I'm not loving what am I doing I'm not loving, <laughs> but I might be doing a lot of other things, but I, I, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that are not loving and we don't need to spell all those out. Next question going down our list is, if I'm not here now loving, why, why am I not? Well, because I'm in the past and I'm in the future, but why? What am I doing there? You see that question? Hold on to that one. What's interesting about all of these questions, I've discovered part of my own growth, is the mind is made to respond to questions. But if you give it the wrong question, it'll give you an answer that doesn't mean anything. So if I really plant deeply into my mind how to build a nuclear bomb that doesn't destroy much property, but kills the maximum amount of people, okay, it, it will work on that problem. So there's one sense in which the mind is amoral. It's like a computer. And it can get very interested in that question when I say, your survival depends on answering this question (laughs) before the other guys do, (laughs) especially. It'll work on that. But when you give it a kind of questions to say, why am I not here now, intentionally? It will begin to work on that. So you put the right question in there and it'll start to give you the answer. So it's one way to nurture your own growth is to keep sticking the question in your mind, only we have to be careful about the questions that slip in from the world and from television, from culture. They're constantly sticking questions into the mind that we have no business thinking about, that waste a lot of time. But the question, why am I not here now, is an excellent question to ponder. Because I'm in the past. Why am I in the past? What am I doing there? That's over, right? That's done with. Does anybody know the answer? Why am I in the past? What am I doing in the past? Yeah, it's, well, it's safe, right? It happened. And I can go back to it. I can control my experience of it. Yeah, it happened.